And when you are trying to pick a Gabriel book, I think it came to me once in a dream is a completely valid way of picking a Gabriel book. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, book friends, and welcome to another edition of Keep It Fictional, a podcast for book lovers by book lovers from your friends at the Port Moody Public Library. I am Kareen, and I am joined today by my fellow book friends, Virginia, Fiona, Sadie, and Gabriel. Now, for today's episode, I must make a confession. One of us here is suffering under false pretenses. One of us here is an imposter. So, on our spreadsheet, because of course we have a spreadsheet because Virginia and Sadie are involved. So there is a spreadsheet far in advance with many tabs, many, many, many tabs. It's color coordinated. It collapses. It's a very special spreadsheet. But on the spreadsheet itself, it says that the theme of today's episode is free play, which means we just got to choose a book and read whatever we wanted. This is a lie. There was a secret assignment. A secret assignment that we have kept from one of the members of this podcast. So today, we are celebrating Gabriel Day, the day of the Gabriel. Gabriel has been our book friend for a year and a month and has been amazing to have here at Port Moody Public Library. On top of that, amazing to have here on the Keep It Fictional podcast. And so we have been so, so lucky to have them here with us that we wanted to celebrate because they are moving on to a brand new, slightly frightening um, adventure. And we wanted to have a day where we just celebrate all things Gabriel. Now, what is a Gabriel? That's maybe a bigger question than we tackle on a book podcast. But as a reader, Gabriel has introduced us to like the world of dark academia, into queer coming of age stories, awesome lost generation sadness. Oh no. Hey, The Great Gatsby is on their top 10. I looked through it again. Fantastic graphic novels, Les Miserables. The book. I know, Sadie, you're excited, but you're really excited about the musical, really. And of course, video game adjacent books. So we have all gone through this list of interests and we have found a book that we deemed a Gabriel book, which I'm very excited, very, very excited to see what other people have chosen. Some of us have some overlapping Venn diagrams with Gabriel. Some of us do not. And Gabriel has brought us so many truly memorable experiences on the podcast talking about books that, that we might not have chosen. I believe my favorite Gabriel moment of all time was listening to them <laughs> retell the plot of Cloud Atlas. Each sentence sounding more unhinged than the last one. <laughs> Every time that I thought that you'd kind of like picked it up and we're like, okay, that's the end of this crazy train. No. 
there was so much more to go. From that to the introduction of Thrawn, my favorite, my favorite new Star Wars character, to the many arguments that we've had or slash discussions, to trying to describe House of Leaves with a slightly haunted look on your face the entire time, to your video game recommendations, to your hot takes on Atlas Six. You've had many memorable moments, and this is our time to give back to you by sharing a book that we think is in your wheelhouse would any of my book friends like to to course in on anything sorry for sorry for the subterfuge yes i believe that gabriel also brought the, brought a southern gothic which was a lot of fun and i wanted to thank you for bringing john green's the anthropocene reviewed because i went and read that and absolutely loved it no i've got the wrong person in your dream you think dreaming about this <laughs> maybe I dreamt it. You didn't like I I like a John Green, but I I don't think I can take credit for that one. I do like I do like him. He's good. (laughs) Was there another book about like reviewing like things from life? Did I really dream this or Kareen brought it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Gabriel. The good things about you are actually about Kareen. What a shocker. Someone has to come in and save me with like some really great things about Gabriel, please. Virginia. I would say is the on top of all the things that you just talked about is the like the memoirs that you talk about that I and the nonfiction because I don't usually like I you know I'm not a nonfiction reader but every time you talk about them they always sound so interesting whether it is step by landscape or the uh, is it vertic- vertigo yeah, horizontal vertigo horizontal vertigo yeah and then you talk about think I want to say that's coming up soon. Like those are all like, they all sound so interesting. It makes me want to read nonfiction, which is a big accomplishment. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So Gabriel, how would you characterize a Gabriel book to see if we've like nailed this assignment or gone very far, far afield? Well, has anybody ever played a board game called Mysterium? And if not, that's okay. It's almost like Clue, except for you are talking and then to a ghost using interpretive art. And when you are trying to pick a Gabriel book, I think it came to me once in a dream is a completely valid way of picking a Gabriel book. It might not be even remotely within the wheelhouse of something that I would normally read, but if something in your subconscious is saying, this is just weird enough, you know, I take that, I take that as a compliment. You could come to me with almost any bizarre, strange book and put it on my desk and be like, like I, I consulted the universe and then this is what they came up with. And I would accept it. There's maybe the only exceptions to that would be a James Patterson or like, I don't know, a Colleen Hoover or something like that. At that point, I'm just like, it was uh, $2 in a bin that you found somewhere. And, you know, I appreciate you giving the effort and thinking of me, but I, I would have preferred whatever beaten up old Eldritch scroll you could have found beside it. So I think that would be the only exception. But really, a Gabriel book is just something you choose with the heart. You just take a look. And if you're just like, yeah, then I appreciate it. It's probably a good thing that you missed our James Patterson episode then. Hey, there's a James Patterson book for everyone. So I'm I'm going to start because I cheated in that I know that this is a book that Gabriel has read and enjoyed. And 
in the tradition of me going out and just straight up asking people what they want, I asked Gabriel what their favorite um, video game was. And they gave another title, which sounded... And then they said Bioshock. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I know what Bioshock is. I don't know what Bioshock is. I really don't know what Bioshock is. And I really, quite honestly, should have done a quick Wikipedia read before I picked up this book. So to give full disclosure, I don't mind a media tie-in. I'm someone, as a youth, I read all of the Star Trek Next Generation novels at my library without ever having watched an episode of Star Trek Next Generation. So I thought that I would get a kind of similar experience reading a Bioshock prequel book. Bioshock, for those who are unaware, like me, it is a first-person shooter video game, and it's about a guy named Jack in the 1960s who crashes his plane and, or no, who the plane crashes, uh, the, the plane is no more, and then finds himself in kind of like this underwater city, which is kind of trapped in an Art Deco style that was built by capitalist and capital G, great, capital M, man, Andrew Ryan, who really believes in the Fleetwood Mac song Chains. And he hates Soviets and unions and loves loves that free market just loves that free market so much that after the end of world war ii when things were looking a little rough he decided the best solution was to take him and all the richest coolest people and do like sebastian the crab and go under the sea and then there's a hundred percent more mystical sea slugs than you would have thought there would be in any video game and then robots and him and his merry band of sociopaths create a utopia that thanks to understanding capitalism goes bad <laughs> real bad and there that 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 is bioshock but it's not because it's also about free will and the markets and video games are art how am I doing, Gabriel? How am I doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. Okay. So Gabriel has talked about this book probably with more passion, and I'm going to go with understanding than I did. What really makes me quite furious is that I had to buy this book because I interlibrary loaned it a long time ago and could not bring myself to read it. So I had to return it, which meant that I had to go out and purchase this book. So this is a book that I own. And shortly, the library is going to own, and it will probably be on a book sale shelf near you. This is the Bioshock prequel book, Rapture by John Shirley. Rapture is the name of the underwater city, which I actually think is a really stupid name for a city. I would have chosen something like, I don't know, Funville, Bubble Town. Rapture is just like a little too little too sexy for a town name, if I might I might venture to say, right? Okay, just me. Anyways, um, it follows all of your favorite characters from the Bioshock game that I don't know as they slowly build and then move into and then wish they could leave Rapture. I think our main character, question mark, one of the characters who is there is Bill. Bill is less of a sociopath than most of them, but really needs to do some like 
glass door reviews of his employer before he pledges his life to them. Bill is an engineer, salt of the earth, who really just believes you need to bootstrap it up. All these people whining about how they can't get jobs just aren't working hard enough. And that attracts the attention of Andrew Ryan, who is, okay, is he Walt Disney or something? Rockefeller? He's all all of them. All of them, Gabriel? He's Ayn Rand. (laughs) Yeah. So her um, is there and has a lot of money and is like, how would you like to join me in my underground paradise bubble city where no one's going to tell you what to do and no one's going to do any charity work? So there. And Bill says, that sounds great. There are also other characters, including a plastic surgeon who goes a little rogue one could argue a guy who i think is supposed to be like noel coward um but takes oh is like the ultimate theater kid to borrow from one of our previous conversations (laughs) and then there's a couple of scientists who really need to have a board of ethics but board of ethics aren't really like capitalist enough so they get to do things everyone sucks everyone sucks. Everyone in this town sucks. Everyone on the surface sucks. Everyone is just a straight up monster. There's embryo stealers and child kidnappers and slicers and dicers. And then everyone gets hooked on slug drugs. And then some people get turned into robots that they call big daddies, which also is weirdly sexual, I would argue. And then they are followed around by children that have been like you know, Hypnotoad and Futurama, kind of like that, but like in them. Um, and they're called little sisters and they were kids, but they're not really kids anymore. And they maybe see ghosts, question mark. Yeah. So there's a lot of like plot in this of how we get from, you know, the uh, some guy who has more money than sense to, oh no, our New Year's Eve party is being overrun by people with superpowers given to them by the magical sea slugs. And yep, capitalism is bad. So you get the whole gamut of how Rapture is built and then slowly falls apart because because capitalism, right, Gabriel? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? I felt like it was a very subtle message, um, but I felt like what it was trying to say is that unrestrained capitalism is bad. Yes. So I think if you knew what the video game was about or had even like, cleverly read the uh, Wikipedia article before you picked up this novelization of something that was very detailed and had so much plot and had so many years and I didn't understand what was going on, you might have enjoyed it more. I felt bad for the writer because every time he was like, big reveal of this like, new character and it was like, name, it's Dr. Bridget Tannenbaum. And I was like, and? Am I am I supposed to be feeling something right now, John? Am I supposed to have an emotional reaction to this because I'm not. So I felt like I was being a little unfair to the author in that I truly hated this book. I truly hated it and had a very bad time reading it. But I I would like to turn the microphone over to Gabriel as someone who has played the video game and understands it. Is this a good book for someone who knows what's going on? Yep. So we, <laughs> on another episode of Geek Bit Fictional, I have given my own review of <laughs> Rapture by John Shirley, which I think is a little bit less entertaining than Kareen's review, but is coming from the perspective of somebody who has played the game 
and who really liked the book. But I did give the caveat when I was saying that, that it is not a book for someone who has not played the game. It is really not going to be enjoyable. The way that it has to do the world building, I think, in the book um, is something that like happens very naturally when you're doing it in a video game setting. And it's just not it's not the same when you are having to read all of the absolutely bizarre things that happen. For instance, the sea slugs, they're called Adam and Eve. Like there's a lot of absolutely sort of just off the wall things that you have to read that you're not thinking about in the same way when you're playing the video game. I'm not thinking about the concept that there's there's an Apple temptation story going on here as well about gaining power and then how the lower class reacts to unrestricted power when they've been mistreated and like all of these weird things. Like it has a lot of capital F, capital W, free will narrative things that I think are very interesting. And I do actually think have a cool plot in that book. But if you if you haven't played the video game, it is not that experience. You're like, Dr. Bridget Tenenbaum, who's this? And I'm like, well, wow, she's so cool. And it has that moment. But it's, yeah, as with a lot of adaptions, it's meant for someone who really liked the original thing. It's not meant for a first-time person who is grappling with evil Walt Disney and the army of under-the-sea folks. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about that. Um, yeah, the pace the pace is relentless. Relentless. But I think and I think what might be interesting about the video game is that within it, there's a very, very interesting story and there's very, very interesting characters that I honestly I would if I was to continue in this world, I wouldn't mind actually reading like what is the motivation of all of these characters to do the things that they do because the story is so interesting. I was just like the breakneck pace is not helping. I don't understand why this person is creating an army of underwater drug takers who are then able to shoot fire out of their hands like what's what's your motivation speaking of theater kids all right well thank you so much gabriel we are going to swing over to fiona fiona what was your gabriel pick so i'm very excited about my pick because when gabriel okay but now i'm a little bit worried because apparently my memory is like variable and i'm like oh my gosh did i is this something else so we'll see we'll see the big reveal moment if uh this is actually a gabriel book when gabriel released their top 10 books for us to look at one of my top 10 books was also on there and that is aristotle and dante discover the secrets of the universe good i'm seeing nods okay we're going in the right direction by benjamin alire sand so pardon me i should have looked that up before so I actually decided to read the sequel to that because it has been on my TBR for a while and I thought it would be a slam dunk. So I read Aristotle and Dante dive into the waters of the world. And this is a sequel that follows directly after the first book. But it's actually written, um, I think it's like, I don't know, there's like a 10 years in between when he wrote it. And I would love to recommend it to Gabriel because I think uh, it had a lot of what was great about the first one. The first one is like sort of a, a bit of a like coming out story in that it's like a self-realization of being queer. And the wonderful thing about this one was it um, followed Aristotle, aka Ari, and sort of got to see him come into himself after that, come into his relationship with Dante. And we really got to experience that, that queer joy that followed. 
it was very, very sweet and it felt really good to read. Not only do we get to see their relationship develop, Ari, who has always been uh, quite closed off, considers himself with someone to be with no friends. And that's one of the things he really admires about Dante is he's like quite open, willing to talk to people and uh, get to know them. And this sequel, Ari actually makes some absolutely delightful friends. It's a little bit episodic in nature. And we just get to see these like beautiful, meaningful episodes with him and his new friends. So he makes friends with scary queen bee, Cassandra, who really wants to be an actor. And she's quite intimidating and standoffish. But when Ari comes out to her, she starts to see him in a different way and not as this sort of toxic straight man the way that she thought that he was. And they explore feminism together and have these great discussions. And then there's also Susie and Gina, who have kind of been hounding Ari since elementary school to like be their friend. And Ari's so closed off to them. And once he opens up to Cassandra, he realizes that he can open up to other people. And he finally comes to, to Gina and Susie and is like, okay, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to be friends. And they're like, oh my gosh. Thank goodness we finally got here. And so Ari creates this beautiful group of friends and he's able to introduce Dante to them as his partner. He delves further into the relationship with his parents um, and creates a really positive, open relationships with them, as well as Dante's parents, who are super informative and smart and absolutely love Ari. So as you're probably getting an idea of, it's sort of like a queer joy fest, which I'd say my only criticism of the book was that it felt very like wish fulfillment-y, um, which for me is not something that I love in fiction, but I think that it is totally valid and has a place. And this book is set in the late 80s, and I don't think there's anything wrong with like retconning queer joy in the 80s. It also like it's during the AIDS pandemic, and it does an excellent job of educating and acknowledging that without just being a sad story about loss to AIDS. So I really, really appreciated that uh, in terms of, I know it's it's quite recent historical fiction, <laughs> but, um, you know, as historical fiction that both acknowledged the reality of the time, but didn't really take a typical approach, not a, not a typical like hard love approach to like, and now we will be learning about the AIDS pandemic. It was, and now we're going to see a slice of queer joy in these characters that you absolutely love. And we're going to see them grow up. It has these lovely vignettes throughout. And as it kind of wraps up, it does play into some like YA romance tropes. So for better or for worse, I feel like it was really lovely. But part of me also felt a little bit like, you know, leaning towards more like I like the realistic fiction. So I would say if you enjoyed the first one or you haven't read the first one, you should go read it. Um, because when I think of a really great YA queer romance, Aristotle and Dante is usually what comes to mind, what I want to recommend people. So I feel like this takes that and just takes it further in a way that if you're a fan of the first, you will totally love seeing these characters develop more and become better people. It's just overall a really, really cozy, wonderful feeling. So if you haven't read it yet, uh, Gabriel, I do recommend revisiting these excellent characters with Aristotle and Dante dive into the waters of the world. I have not read it yet. 
but I'm excited. It's one of those ones that has been on my to read list for a long time, but I think everybody knows that sometimes those lists are long and sometimes you need to be in the right mood for something. And yeah, I did love the characters in the original and I would like to see them happy. So I'm not going to lie. The wish fulfillment aspect, it's not, it's not a deal breaker because I would rather that they be happy that I have to watch them super sad. So very fair. All right. Well, when I think of YA, I usually think of Sadie. So I'm going to swing it over to Sadie. What uh, what Gabriel book did you choose? All right. So I do have to admit I was at a slight disadvantage in picking a book for Gabriel because I simply did not work with them for as long as the rest of you did. They were here to cover uh, me being away. <laughs> the circumstances did not allow for us uh, to work together that much. But I am so happy that I have had the opportunity to work with them, even just for the last month, because it has been wonderful to get to know you, Gabriel. And has been just, yeah, just excellent to to be able to have that opportunity. I don't think a lot of people in that position get that opportunity to work with the person who who kind of covered for them. And so that's that's been really great for me on a professional level and also just on a personal level too. To know that I have now had you in my life and and it's been wonderful. So I, I did have help with picking this book. Kareen, you said that you cheated a little bit. I cheated in a different way. So I did end up picking a book that I have always really wanted to read, but that I think kind of maybe crosses paths a little bit. So one thing that I do know about you, Gabriel, is that you like Six of Crows. I love Six of Crows. It is one of my all-time favorite books, all-time favorite series. I love Lee Bardugo and all of her books, but that one was kind of the book that got me into her writing. And so one of the things that I believe Virginia suggested was to look at characters that might be similar to a character in one of the books that you have read. And so I looked at Kaz Brecker and did a good Google search. What other characters are similar to Kaz Brecker? And a few books came up. So once again, I emailed Virginia and said, these are the ones that are kind of coming up. Would any of them strike you as a Gabriel book? And Virginia said, well, I could never see them reading that. So let's cross that one off the list. But this one might be good. And it just so happened that it had always been on my to-be-read to be list as well. So the book that I chose, and I have no idea if you've read it, I have no idea if it would be a book that you would like to read, but I did Vicious by V.E. Schwab. And the character of Victor Vale, who is our one of our protagonists, has been compared to Kaz Brecker. So that is kind of the connection that I found. So in Vicious, Victor has just come out of jail. He's been in jail for 10 years. And he finds himself asking the question, if I want to kill the hero, does that make me the villain? Just by that pure fact that I do not want him to be alive anymore. Does that in turn automatically make me a villain? So this is what Victor has been struggling with for the past 10 years, because it was that hero, Eli, who put him in jail in the first place. And so now 10 years out of jail, he is trying to find his revenge. But that is not where our story starts. Our story starts 10 years ago at Lachlan University. Victor and Eli are roommates. They're best friends. They are both very, very smart. They're at the top of their class. And they're always 
just a little bit different from everyone else. Victor is introverted. He's awkward. He has famous self-help writing, book writing parents who he can't stand. And he always buys their books and then destroys them as some sort of cathartic experience. Eli is very charming. He's kind of the all-American young man that people love to see. But Victor knows he has a bit of a dark side. So when they are declaring their thesis for their final project, Eli speaks up and says he wants to study EOs. The teacher stops. Everybody in the class stops, thinking that he's joking. Now, an EO is short for extraordinary individuals. These are people who, for lack of a better term, have superpowers. One way or another, they have superpowers. He's given the go-ahead, and so Victor and Eli start to study EOs. And what Eli discovers is that the way an EO is made or becomes an EO is through a near-death experience. So his research was always going to be theoretical, but Victor decides maybe Maybe we can make this happen. Why don't we use ourselves as test subjects? Karina's shaking her head. <laughs> and see if we can, in fact, cause this to happen in ourselves. So Victor and Eli set out to basically kill themselves with the hope that they will come back stronger, better, and with superhuman abilities. Victor goes first. He gets some illegal drugs. He overdoses. He's drunk out of his mind. He like rushes him to the hospital. He comes back. Nothing. He's just the same as he was before, just not feeling great. Then it's Eli's turn. Now they've learned a little bit from Victor's experiment. And so Eli decides that he needs to put himself in a situation where he is not in control, where he is afraid where his adrenaline is so spiked and his body is in a flight or fight response. And this is the way that he's going to get superpowers. So he puts himself in a ice bath so cold that he basically lowers his body temperature so much that he dies. Victor then brings him back with EpiPens and warm packs and blankets. And somehow it works. Eli can heal himself when he comes back. Victor is not satisfied with being the sidekick in this situation. So he sets out to once again try to kill himself. He enlists the help of Eli's girlfriend, Angie, who Victor has always been in love with. He gets her to strap him to a table and give him an electric pulse or an elect basically electrify him until he dies and then bring him back. It works, but in the aftermath, Angie is killed. So through this, he goes to Eli. He tries to get help. Eli turns on him, turns him into the cops, shoots him, leaves him for dead. He goes to prison. We are now 10 years later, and Victor has decided that he needs to get his revenge. So we come back to the question, if I want to kill the hero, does that make me the villain? So this is where most of our story takes place. It kind of goes back and forth between looking into the past as to how they created themselves and our present day where Victor and his sort of band of misfits has now banded together trying to find Eli and track him down and basically kill someone who regenerates and cannot be killed. So that is our story. I loved it. 
I am now on the second book, listening to the audiobook of it on my drives to and from work. That's how I, I listened to the first one as well, uh, was through audiobook. And so I'm I'm curious, is this a Gabriel pick? Is this something that you think you might you might enjoy? It is. It is also a book that I have seen the cover for. Didn't know what it was about, to be honest. Sometimes I do judge a book by its cover and it didn't look that interesting. But now that you describe it, it's very much a Gabriel book and I'm very interested in it. And there's maybe a dark part of me that had a lot of Dr. Horrible sing-along blog songs in my head as you were talking about it. So speaking of sort of theater kid nonsense, I I think that there's there's something there. It's just it's just good. I like Kaz, like this kind of story. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. Thank you, Sadie. Yes. All right. I feel good. So glad. I Yeah, I recommend it too. To anyone who kind of likes superheroes, anyone who likes that kind of darker protagonist who has a troubled past, but maybe still lovable. Victor's a bit on the line in this one, but he's surrounded by people that you really like. So I feel like that helps. Nicely done, Sadie. You've nailed it in one. I like that actually both of the books that we chose, Sadie, talk about the importance of <laughs> the oversight of ethics boards. So I feel like maybe, Gabriel, that's a theme that you could build a book list about. <laughs> a very specific theme. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, Virginia. Virginia, what you you helped Sadie with hers. What What is your Gabriel book? Well, I also went the video game route because you think Gabriel, you think video game. And Gabriel, I have had that Mass Effect book in front of me for the longest time. It's been there for three weeks ever since we found out that we're going to do this. And I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Unlike Corinne, I'm not brave enough to go dive into a world that I know I hate. So I couldn't do it. So instead, I choose something else. Do a video game, but something a little easier, I think. Now, in the year that Gabriel has spent at the library with us, as we said, they brought a lot of fun, interesting ideas to the library, you know, like we mentioned in the intro. And I think if you ask us, and I don't know even if it is your favorite thing or not, Gabriel, but I think we will always associate you with Minecraft. I have the privilege to sit next to you in the office. And as a result, every Thursday, I am treated to a delightful hour of Minecraft. And listening to you play Minecraft with the kids is the funnest hour of the week. It is a highlight of our week. I mean, other than this recording, obviously, but it is so much fun because it's not just about like hearing the passion and the excitement that you have for the game, but also the way you really support the kids in their little Minecraft journey, the way you encourage them to try new things and see what happens. Even the way you tell them, please stop destroying other people's things, it still feels supportive and just encouraging. You know, and what makes it even more fun is that because this is an online program and you wear headphones, we only hear your side of the conversations. So me and my coworker are always kind of wondering, like, what in the world is going on? Because the things that you say are just sometimes very, very weird. So it was just fun. It was just fun to be there. So, you know, to show my gratitude for letting me eavesdrop on this delightful program, I have to get into the Minecraft universe in the way that I can, which is to read a official Minecraft novel, which I don't know if it is something that you have done yet, Gabriel. So we'll find out. Anyway, so looking at the Minecraft official novels, I'm amazed right away at 
the kind of authors that write in this universe. Like, if you are a science fiction and fantasy reader, especially for contemporary SFF readers, you will recognize these people. The first one that was published was The Island, written by Max Brooks. Max Brooks! You may recognize him as the author of World War Z, or if you don't know the book, you might have seen the movie with Brad Pitt. And NPR even reviewed this book, saying this is a Robinson Crusoe for the digital age. NPR re reviewed a, a Minecraft book. That's amazing. So that's like the him that is uh, Tracy Baptiste, who write the Jumpy series, a really fun kids series. C.B. Lee, author of Clash of Steel that Fiona talked about on this show. Suyi Davis author of David Mogul God Hunter that I talk about on this show. There is Delilah S. Dawson. There's Catherine M. Valente. So many well-known authors. It's just such an amazing lineup. So it is just amazing like you know, to see that and hoping that the kids would get into these novels because of Minecraft and maybe they will have like a whole list of authors to discover later on when they get older and they are diving into like adult fantasy or adult science fiction. So this is super exciting. And the one that I pick, of course, is one of my favorite authors, which is We'll also write a Minecraft book. What is going on? It is Nikki Drayden, and this is The Dragon. So Nikki Drayden, author of The Prey of Gods, banana pan science fiction that I talk about on this show, Escaping Exodus. Oh, everything's so good. She got into the Minecraft world because of her son, Alex. And Alex introduced her to it, and she has been playing it ever since then because she's just so amazed at the storytelling that this game inspired her son to do. And it's just so much creativity that she sees and she's just so excited. And as she said, it seems like a very simple game, but there are just so many things to discover. So before I get into the story, just a disclaimer, I, just like Corinne, I know nothing about Minecraft, so I might get a lot of things wrong, so Gabriel can correct me later. Our story here, The Dragon, is set in a village, a small town called Sierra Dunes. It is a desert town. And in an interview with Nikki Drayden, uh, she talks about how, why she picked a desert, because that is the place that she avoids the most, you know? And as she said, Minecraft Live is already a challenge, why make it harder? So that's kind of where she decides to set this story in. She likes that it is a bit more isolated, perhaps because of the desert. So the villagers maybe don't have as much contact with outside groups. So they are kind of more set in their own ways. That's sort of like what the story is a little bit about. It's also a place where there's a scarcity of resources. So they have to kind of find ways to make do and survive. And she likes that aspect of it. And she also had a lot of fun coming up with titles for the town library. Book titles such as 101 Things to Do with Sand or How to Raise a Happy Cactus. She just thought those were like just fun things to do. So she was excited about choosing the desert as her um, setting. So this is the story of Seta, who is a potion maker. And she's the best in her village. And no one is going to dispute that claim because she's the only one. She's the only potion maker that is there. Two people know that she is a potion maker because her village does not like potion making, does not like magic. Her dad especially despises it. So it's kind of forbidden. And so she has to do it in secret. And because of that, most of the things that she does, she learns by trial and error. A lot of errors, a lot of singed eyebrows. And because there's no one to teach her, there's no one to help her. And so it's really hard to make progress, but she's working hard at it because she really, really likes it. Well, one day, her village is attacked by the illagers, Gabriel, whatever that is. 
the illagers. And it's not uncommon that her village has dealt with these raiders before. And they usually fight back with swords and other weapons. And they try to like fortify their walls to make sure that the illagers can get in. But this time, something has changed. These illagers have dragons. So how do you fight a dragon? Well, the mayor and everybody else thinks that they just need to have better weapons. They need to like build higher walls, stronger walls. That's the way to go. But Seda knows that no walls is going to stop a dragon. So they need something else. And so Seda thought, you know what? One way to chase away these dragons and the illagers is potions. And so she went to talk to the mayor and try to suggest that, that they have to change their strategies. They have to try something different. But of course, the mayor won't listen because the mayor things that magic is useless. And so as she was watching this dragon coming through, crashing through the walls and chasing the mayor, and the dragon is just about to have the mayor for a snack, Seda in desperation reached into her backpack and took out the potions that she made earlier. And one of them is supposed to be this invisibility potion. So she threw at the mayor, hoping that that's the right one. And long and behold, the mayor starts disappearing, which really confuses the dragon. But her potion is not quite right. So the head of the mayor has disappeared, but then it stopped. So now there's just this headless person running around, which not just confuses the dragon, but actually scare the dragon off. So the dragon flew away. And so the illagers have to retreat and the village is safe for now. You would think if someone saved your life, you would kind of listen to them. And that's what Seda thought the mayor would maybe finally give in and open up the treasury and let her have all the ingredients so that they can make some more potions. The mayor is mad because now she's kind of headless and there's nothing Seda could do because she doesn't know how to reverse this magic. So it just have to let the effect like kind of go away in a couple of days. And they won't listen. They won't listen. And all they want to do is just keep making a wall. And so Seda knows that the only way she can learn more about magic, about potion making to help her village is to go find her aunt. Her aunt lives really far away from the village, probably in exile, maybe forced exile, or maybe it's a self-imposed. She doesn't know why her aunt doesn't live in the village anymore, but she knows that her aunt is somewhere far away and then she has to go find her because her aunt is also a potion maker. And that would be the way to help save the village. And of course, like the book title said, there's a dragon. So Seda at some point later accidentally hatches a dragon egg and it turns out to be the mythical Ender Dragon. And so it is up to her, up to her two best friends and her little cousin to help train this dragon so that it would save the village instead of destroying it. Even as someone who doesn't know Minecraft, I think this is still like a fun adventure fantasy story. I'm sure if you play Minecraft, this would be way more fun because you're going to know the world already. You're going to know all the references. She talks about she included soul sand in this. And it's because like it creeps her out, she said. And uh, Nikki Drayden said like she wanted to know where the sand comes from. Like who are the souls that are trapped in it? And how long have they been there? And what are they whispering about? And what power do they have? And that's how she put those in the story. So I think if you know Minecraft, there will be like a lot of these fun things that you'll be like, oh, it's so sad. Whatever that is. It will be exciting. 
it's also got a lot of elements that you'll find sort of a novel in a similar genre. You've got a main character who's trying to get better at what they're doing, about perseverance, you know, like they're making a lot of mistakes, but they, they're going to fight for what they think is right. They want to help others to see that, you know, they can change, they can adapt, doing things without giving up and just trying, even give their heart, trying something new. And then, the, of course, there's the whole secret about why is magic forbidden in the village here um, that you're going to find out later in the book. So, yeah, I think if you if you play Minecraft, this will be a fun week. If you don't play Minecraft, maybe this is the way to get yourself excited about Minecraft. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I Like I said, I, I hope that the kids would look at these authors and then maybe they'll go explore other books by them because that would be great because these are all great, great authors. So this is The Dragon by Nikki Drayden. That's really, that's a really interesting, <laughs> interesting book, especially because just listening to the the plot of it, it seems there's like actually a pretty good mix of not at all in Minecraft and in Minecraft. But of course, if you've never played it, you don't necessarily know what the author has changed anyway. But I am sure that if you have a kid who is very interested in Minecraft, they will tell you every single way in which the authors change something, because that's not how it works in the game. And I think the biggest thing that I would love someone to take away from it is that the villagers are people too. And guys, when we find a village, please, please don't hurt the villagers. We can use them later, okay? No, please, please don't hit them, okay? And that's that, that can be what Minecraft is about. But really, Minecraft is about storytelling. I think at its heart, and it's about finding different ways to interact with it. There is a long, very interesting, very bizarre history of Minecraft, essentially role play and storytelling on almost a level of like the Odyssey. It's bizarre uh, the amount that people get into it, the amount of work that goes into it, the amount of collaboration that goes into certain elements of Minecraft storytelling. And so seeing that transfer to, I think, a kid's story makes a lot of sense. I'm really glad you went with that instead of Mass Effect because I've never read the Mass Effect book. I don't think I want to. I like Mass Effect, the video game series, and I don't think they do it well. So I'm glad that you spared yourself because I think seeing a little potion maker summon an Ender Dragon is probably a lot more fun. So It is N.K. Jemison for the Mass Effect book. That's the only reason I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe, because I know she's probably also a big fan of Mass Effect, but I'm like, oh, I can't. Sitting in my house, I have three of them in the in the house. So three of the same book or three of the series? Three of the same series. Yeah, all the Mass Effects novel is in the house. Just a question, maybe Gabriel could help with this. When you like throw a potion at someone, are you not essentially like throwing a glass bottle at them? Like, how does that work? If it's a splash potion, you are. If it's a regular potion, you're drinking it because a splash potion could affect multiple people because it splashes. But otherwise, you have to drink it out of the bottle, and I don't know why you don't get hurt by it, but you don't, because uh, we're built different in Minecraft, I guess. You are made out of blocks, as I understand it. All right. Well, Gabriel, we didn't want to let your your hard work go to waste. And so we wanted to give you um, the opportunity for your, your final book talk on Keep It Fictional. <laughs> so I, I know that this might not even be a Gabriel book, but <laughs> ironically enough, I, I don't think, I, but it might be. We don't know until we hear Gabriel's final book talk. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, in fairness, by definition, I suppose any book I talk about is a Gabriel book. Um, it's not one that I necessarily would have picked to represent me 
on a game reel episode to the point where I'm quickly looking at other things I've written to see if there's a different one. But I think I'm just going to go with it. I think I'm just going to go with it. So I don't think of myself as someone who reads a lot of memoir or nonfiction, but I can be wrong. People can interpret me differently than I do. In my head, I think I, I read a perfectly reasonable amount and, in fact, probably less than the average person. However, based on the things that I tend to recommend on this, maybe that's not true. And here we have another nonfiction, another memoir. It's about someone that I don't know, but I was interested in the kind of story that she was going to tell. And I ended up actually really impressed when I ended up picking it up. The book that I'm going to go out talking about is Crying in H-Mart by Michelle Zahner, which is not necessarily a Gabriel pick in the most traditional sense. But sometimes you close your eyes, you do a little dream, and then you find what's in your heart. And so Crying in H-Mart by Michelle Zahner is what I'm going with. She's known for her music career as Japanese Breakfast. I have only heard one song by her, and I didn't like it. But I know that she's well-known in a lot of different circles I've run in, and I was kind of curious. Honestly, the reason I had went for this book was for reasons outside of her maybe performing career and more about my interest in food, my interest in food and culture and how the two combine. So it was published, ooh, I was going to say last year, but I think it's two years now, and it's kind of an extension of a shorter essay that she did for The New Yorker, which was by the same name in 2018. So honestly, if it's something that you're a little bit curious about and you want to see if it is kind of your style, the prologue to the book, more or less, or like the opening to the book, is that essay. So if you want to just kind of go take a look at it, that's a really great, it's a really great option. So obviously, it's no secret that food and culture and history are all intertwined. And that's something that I love about it. That's something that I have gravitated to when I have looked at uh, certain types of nonfiction before. And it's really not uncommon for people to have memories swell to the surface every time that they you know, catch a whiff of a favorite childhood dish. Food is, I think, one of the easiest things that can kind of transcend generations. Because every time that you make bread or like you fold dumplings or you bake banana bread or you stare at the bananas that are in the back of your freezer telling yourself that one day you're going to use them to make banana bread, you are tapping into the lessons that your parents taught you or love that they showed you sort of through the act of cooking. And Crying in H-Mart is all about food. Zahner was born in Seoul to Xiaomi and Joel, but she grew up in Eugene, Oregon. So kind of a different environment. She was a mixed race teenager in a predominantly white small town in the Pacific Northwest. I've never been there, but I think it's relatively close. She felt disconnected from her own heritage, but one of the ways that she could feel connection was through her mother's cooking. So Changmi was a strict mother. She was kind of very closed off, maybe not the most emotional, especially compared to Zahner herself, who was a very... Um, she, she really has a lot of big emotions. She wears them on her sleeve. And sometimes when they aren't sort of reciprocated or treated in the same way, she she takes that quite personally. And I think that was something that she, she talks about struggling with through a lot of the book. And her mother's 
perfectionism in particular was really hard for Donner to handle. And she really grappled with the idea that she might not be enough for her mother. But the way that they did manage to bond in a way that didn't necessarily require wearing your heart on your sleeve or kind of having to show your emotions in the same kind of sense was through this love of strong flavors and ingredients, ones that would be probably intimidating to her classmates or people around her. But she kind of eats her way through the many stages of life. She eats crab on trips back to Seoul for the summer, or she makes different kinds of wraps when she's on break from college. She spent some time as a teenager drifting away um, from her culture, but she starts to embrace it again when, unfortunately, her mother is diagnosed with cancer. So it's time for her to kind of return and care for her mother and show her some of the love and support that she's been shown over the years. And Zahner helped to do it with food. But unfortunately, chemo ruins your appetite. So I wouldn't call it a spoiler because this is sort of something that you know from the beginning, but her mother does die um, just over halfway through crying in H Mart. And so much of the book kind of deals with the enormity of grief when you lose a parent, especially one that you had just begun to mend your relationship with. There's a lot of things that are very much kind of left unresolved or resolved in a way that would have been different if she had other opportunities while her mother was alive. While she's going through this treatment, uh, Chang Mi is uninterested in eating like the very painstakingly crafted meals that Zahner prepares for her. But that interest in cooking doesn't leave as soon as her mother does. It stays with her. And food and cooking kind of continue to be a gateway to her own heritage. She reminisces on meals that she ate on muggy summer nights with aunts and uh, grandmothers in Korea. She sobs in mall cafeterias watching a mother teach her son how to properly eat a dish. And she continues to learn from her mother's peers and community, finally able to prepare dishes that she wishes she could have made her mother. It's very grounded in reality through the good and the bad. Zahner has a very self-deprecating way of looking at herself, but also I think she's done a lot of reflecting on herself and can almost be unfair when she's talking about her childhood. But I think she knows how melodrama is in her nature and she knows that she was a very overdramatic teenager and someone who would have acted differently as an adult if she could go back and change things she is also someone who is very rebellious and so when you're looking back on those times with maybe more sobriety it can be hard to look at but i think it's something that was important that she did for herself. So Crying in H Mart is a very emotional book. It was beautifully written. It provides a lot of insight into her as a musician, if you are interested in that. But even as someone who is not at all interested in that, I would absolutely recommend her memoir. I think that it's got a little bit of something for everyone. If you're interested in more of the ways that people deal with emotions, if you're interested in uh, intergenerational relationships, if you're interested in food and culture, I think there's lots of different things to to find with this one. So maybe not a traditional Gabriel pick, but I would still I would still very much recommend this one. I think I think it's got a lot. It's got a lot going for it. So yeah, I was the imposter. I didn't know. Didn't know what was gonna happen today. In the best possible way. But again, as you explained to Fiona, like a Gabriel book is one that just kind of like happens to you. 
And so, I mean, it's it's the perfect Gabriel book in that this book just happened upon you. Did you have any like final, final, oh, that sounds a bit grim, um, final words I was about to say. And I was like, no, walk that back, walk that back. Um, is there anything that you would like to say um, about your Keep It Fictional experience? I suppose I would like to say thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to all of my book friends. And thank you to everybody. It has been great at the Port Moody Library. And if I have learned anything from my time, both at Keep It Fictional and doing things like Minecraft, is I think the importance of seeking out stories that are meaningful to you, even if that means finding them in other formats, even if that means having to create them yourself. The act of storytelling can feel uh, repetitive and it can be something that you feel like it, it might be unoriginal, but we've been telling the same kinds of stories in different ways for years. And you can do that with different formats. You can do that with different people and it will be different every time. And there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of value in that. So thank you. And thank you for considering some of these strange things that I have brought to keep it fictional. Even if you have never picked up a Gabriel book, that's okay. You're missing out because Thrawn was the best. Perfect. So I would like to to wrap up our, our last episode with Gabriel in the most Gabriel-like way that I could think. And the universe said, you have played the library podcast game well. And the universe said, everything you need is within you. And the universe said, you are stronger than you know and much braver than Virginia and I. And the universe said, you are not alone. You have all of our support. You are the player, Gabriel. Dream on. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And have many amazing adventures, Gabriel. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm-hmm.